Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams no matter how small. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today it is April 9th, 2014. No, yeah, <laughs> April 9th, 2014, and we are in Los Angeles, California. Today I am very excited to have on Dr. Jaffe from Alternatives Addiction Treatment Program in Los Angeles, California. And here uh, a little bit about Dr. Jaffe. He holds a Ph.D. in psychology from the University of California, uh, Los Angeles, UCLA. He teaches uh, courses at UCLA and Cal State University in Long Beach that address addiction, specifically or biologically, psych- bio- biological psychology and behavioral neuroscience uh, more generally. Uh, he's well known for his online and academic writing, and his views on his addiction and his research on the topic have been published on allaboutaddiction.com. He is a UCLA-trained addiction expert. Um, I'm really familiar with uh, alternatives. I think it's a great program, and we're going to bring him on right now so that uh, he can talk about... Where did my blog talk radio go? There it is. Okay. There we go. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. You guys are busy, huh? Um, yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Even when we're not busy, I, I started saying now that we uh, we deal in crises. We're <laughs> so even when it's not busy, it feels like it's busy. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so I realized I had never had you on. I had Dr. Kern on a couple of times, and I really like cool. your program and wanted people to more people to know about it. So can you... Just talk a little bit about uh, alternatives and what it offers and how what it looks like. I know you have a two-month program and a six-month program. Sure. Um, you know, I think broadly, even more so than the specific kind of programs that we offer, although, you know, obviously I, I feel like that's important to some extent, is mm-hmm. um, that Alternatives was set up to offer, just like we said, uh, a choice for people who are looking for help from substance use who are not looking for 12-step involvement, whether because they've tried it and they feel like it didn't do what they needed it to, or because they're just not at all interested in in trying that method. Um, My research, you know, you pointed out, and that was quite the introduction, by the way, but you pointed out um, 
some of the work that I've, that I've done and when I did research at UCLA, one of the things that always bothered me is how many people with addiction issues don't even look for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to set it as one of my goals to get more people who are not willing to engage in normal traditional treatment right. help that they can benefit from. And so that was really the cornerstone of alternatives is offering people another option. Um, through that, what we did is we took a lot of the evidence base for what has been shown in the literature to help with uh, substance abuse. And so cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness, bio-neurofeedback, um, you know, exercise, nutritional components, some of that stuff. And and we tried to create a comprehensive program that would help people um, who, again, were not really either tied into the traditional treatment system or uh, or have just had enough of it and, and want something else. And so we do offer a two- and a six-month treatment option, and it's sort of resolved that just as we, maybe not as we intended, but the clients that we end up seeing are exactly those people who have either, you know, we get people who have been to treatment eight, nine, ten times before, traditional sort of treatment, and then we get people who have been sitting, yeah, and we get people who have been sitting on the sidelines for the last six or eight, ten, fifteen years, uh, kind of in active, problematic using mode, and and have just never wanted to walk into an AA meeting or maybe tried a few and decided that they didn't want it and then never engage in normal treatment because they didn't really want something that was 12-step based. So that does end up being uh, the major part of the population that we really see. How are people finding you? You know, it's a really good question. <laughs> we, we're small, <laughs> so we don't have money for advertisement. Um, and so up to now, it's been either word of mouth or um, online. You know, yeah. we we sort of... We have a website, and so it's you know addictionalternatives.com. And what a lot of times when people look for us, if I look at the keywords that people find us through, oftentimes it is alternatives to AA or alternative yeah. addiction treatment options and things like that. Um, and then there's also one other pretty big thing that we offer that even the non-12-step treatment programs in this country, to, for the most part, don't really feel comfortable with, and that is we'll take people who aren't ready to quit. Um, Mm -hmm. and we will actually try to help them reduce the harm, if you want to call, if you want to go with the harm reduction language, or reduce their use to some Mm -hmm. extent. Um, You know, I feel, again, I feel like that's a really important part of what we do. Mm -hmm. First of all, not everybody has to quit. Let's just start with that. And secondly, even the people who have to quit, if they don't want to, I I look at it as a relegation of duty to... um, to not help people who are not willing to go all the way. I kind of right. equate it to imagine if when people had a problem with their leg, you know, let's say they twisted their ankle or they even broke it or something along those lines, and you go to a doctor and the doctor said, well, what we need to do here is amputate. Um, most people wouldn't go to the doctor again. Right, and, right. You no, know, they would never want to get that leg looked at, and that's what we do to a lot of people with substance use issues. I think that you're fit, too, with a lot of people that, like Gabrielle Glaser was uh, addressing in her best kept secret why women drink and how they can regain control. There's a lot of women, and they're uh, they're not just educated women that are upper middle class, but there is a whole population that's not going to ever walk into a meeting, and they are already drinking too much. Like she talked about the woman who's drinking two or three bottles of wine a night. That's a lot. You know, I mean, that's 
I mean, yeah. or, a, or a bottle even alone and doesn't like that. And then if she went to an AA meeting and then they're told she's in denial and, oh, well, we'll, we'll be waiting for you when, you when you're ready, like, you know, that she needs to, she needs to get sure. worse. Like she needs her sinus to be bleeding before she's going to go to the doctor, you know. It, well, you know, it's you funny. Getting, it actually, yeah. That happened to me. Um, so yeah. I, you know, I, I was a meth addict and I, um, I ended up quitting meth and I was sober for three years in AA. And I, I ran. I, I still call it the AA experiment. I got to come up with a different word for it at some point. But um, I, uh, I did that thing. I, I did that thing they tell you not to do, which is start drinking again. I did it with a lot of planning, and I talked to my family. I even talked to my sponsor at the time um, for about six months, and then eventually I took the plunge. Um, and without fail, when I would tell somebody that story, and it didn't matter where I met them. I mean, literally, sometimes I would meet them at an academic conference. Um, Eventually, they would say to me, "Well, we'll save a seat for you." Ugh. And it was, yeah. it was as if not only were they not able to conceive that my outcome might be different than what they expect, but they kind of, they kind of relish the prob- the opportunity to be there for me when I fall flat on my face, you know. Um, and that really, I'll be honest with you, that really made me mad. I'm over it at this point a little bit, but I could probably tell I'm getting a little activated just talking about it. Yeah, it made me mad. It made me... Yeah, you should get mad. Yeah. yeah it's a fucked up thing to it, say. It kinda, mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me feel like, well, why Why are you hoping that this doesn't work? Why not say, well, good luck? Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you know, if it doesn't work for you, then always you can always come back. Why not say that? Why say we'll save a seat for you? Um, and, and that was the thing I kept getting over and over and over. And... You know, I can uh, stick my tongue out at them at this point because it's now been nine years and everything is fine oh. and I'm not I'm not in relapse mode and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But that that took a big toll on me for a while in terms of being able to to deal with that. And I, what you know, what we try to do at Alternatives is eliminate the need for people to feel that way. You know, people mm-hmm. come to us because they want help. Um, right. We don't have even the people who are really not ready. And I mean, obviously, you know some of this. Um, even the people who are maybe not at the end of their road, I don't think we've right. got to push them to see if they can be worse before we yeah. help them. Let's just help them, mm-hmm. and then if they need more help later, let's offer them more help later. Let's not stand back and say, well, you're not quite at the point where we're ready to help you. That seems like bullshit to me. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of tools uh, you know, that you offer um, I think there's a lot of tools in smart recovery. Even if people don't want to be abstinent, it's a good program. Absolutely. I think. I'd like to people to know that in Los Angeles, there is a uh, moderation meeting in your facility. There's a smart recovery meeting, and there is craft meeting, which is for friends and family or parents. Uh, um, you know, it's different than Al-Anon, but it's for that. And I'm actually reading that book, uh, workbook. Yeah. So the friends. Exactly. Yeah, the can you talk a little bit about smart. these are free, free or not? You know, you put Absolutely. money in the basket or something. But can you talk just a little bit about those free services that you hold in your? Sure, we're actually starting something new today, even that I'll tell you about. But um, oh, yeah. yeah, Claudia so, told me. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool, cool. Um, so, yes, yeah, Smart Recovery and Smart Family and Friends and MM are free groups that we offer here on our campus. The groups are six thirty to eight, and the Smart are on Monday. The Moderation Management is on Tuesday. And I completely agree with you that even if you're not really looking for abstinence, SMART is a great option. SMART is a cognitive behavioral therapy-based self-help group. Um, It's a program that assumes that by tackling the underlying beliefs that people have about their behavior, we can actually change the way that they behave, the the actions that they take, uh, and the way they feel about the world around them. 
Um, Smart Family and Friends, I think, is an amazingly cool alternative to Al-Anon. I can't tell you how many parents and significant others I've talked to who just really don't want to walk into an Al-Anon meeting. And Mm -hmm. it's not that Al-Anon hasn't helped anybody. I'm sure it has many. But but there are a lot of people out here about who just say, yeah, I went to one of those meetings. I'm never going back. And up to now, there hasn't. There hasn't been another option. There's right, been nothing right. there. And, and yeah. so now finally we can offer, like you pointed out, a craft-based, which is community reinforcement and family training, um, which is an MI adjunct sort of thing, motivational interviewing adjunct mm-hmm. for, um, for the family members. So we actually have the family group and the regular smart meeting at the same time. So the family and the client, the, not the client, the, the participant in smart can come at the same time and they both go to two different rooms and they do their work. Mm-hmm. Um, because that gets to another piece of the puzzle, which obviously everybody who's gone through this knows to some extent, which is a lot of times you've got to deal with more than just the client themselves. You've got to have the family involved to, to have any chance of success. Um, right. And this way we get free, you know, they get to do some free work on Mondays mm-hmm. to to be able to do that. Moderation management is another self-help group not based on CBT. Uh, it's really more of a behavioral modification kind of thing. But um that looks at allowing people to reduce, not abstain. Right, and I just want to say this for anybody who's listening. Moderation management and smart recovery have been approved by the courts, and so has SOS, which is a abstinence-based support group that's been around for over 28 years. All these three options, if you're listening, is available if you get a DUI that you should tell your uh, lawyer quickly and know this, that they cannot force you to attend what's already been deemed highly religious in the Ninth Circuit Court, which you live in California. It's been deemed highly religious in 25 states. So that you have this option, which is called Smart Recovery, which has been approved now at the national drug court level, which is national. And I know from interviewing Dr. Kern you know, in the office with you, I learned so much. It was really great, those interviews that are going to be in my film, uh, yeah. that this was so for 10 years. And I'm like, you know, I think that these your approach... And, uh, you know, a moderation, harm reduction is such a better approach when people get into trouble. So we're talking about people maybe who haven't gotten into trouble yet coming to you, but then it, it also sure. you have a great approach, and, and I think Alternative does, uh, Alternatives has a good approach for when people first get into trouble is better than being told that you can't drink forever and you got a disease yeah. and, oh, my God, you're powerless and you got to go here forever. People are like, and then they're going to pray at the beginning and pray at the end. And, wow, yeah. you know, and it is a setup for binge drinking. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, there has to be sort of a, not has to be, but it would be great. We've talked about this, a coming together of a whole community of us that say, and, and, you know, I am going to go to talk to a judge up in Santa Maria and he is open. You know, he sent people to AA for 12 years, and he's seeing that, you know, this may not be the best thing to do for women. He actually sure. And it's, uh, you know, I think I think what people have to do is keep a what I call a long view on this. And the reason is this, right? People, let's just be honest. It is safer, it feels safer to us to recommend to somebody that they never touch their drug of choice ever again for the rest of their life. Why? Because then we can stand back and say, well, we gave them the right advice. Mm-hmm. What we have to ignore while we're doing that is that you know, 99% of the time, they're not following our advice long-term. And so, you know, we're in the same example like I gave with the doctor and the amputation. Sure, you know, amputating a leg will make sure that you don't break it again and that it won't hurt from the fracture. But that's not necessarily the right solution for a person just because it also solves that problem. Right, um, right. We, we we need to have the kind of solutions that people are willing to take part in. And, 
you know, people say really absurd things to me sometimes, like, you know, they use the Audrey Kishline example for it's just for MM, or they'll talk about the fact that people who, they've seen people who try to moderate and they can't do it, so therefore it proves that moderation is not an option. And what I say is, how many times have you seen people try to abstain and not be able to abstain? Does that prove that abstinence should not be an option? That's just bizarre, right. Right. crazy logic. You know, most people who walk into AA meetings relapse. Does that mean that AA doesn't work? If it does, yeah. I don't see anybody standing up and admitting it. Of course that most people who try moderation also end up in situations where they don't drink exactly as much as they wanted to. But that's not proof that moderation should be off the table as an option. It's not even proof that those people can't moderate. Because I know people who've gone to AA and have taken four, five, six, seven rounds, eight rounds, 20 rounds to get any long-term sobriety. Right. Um, what we need to do is offer options that people are willing to take. Because the bottom line is even if, and AA is not, but even if AA was 100% successful, right. but only 10% of people were willing to engage in it, we would only be help, able to help 10% of people. Um, and so we need other options. Even if they're only 20, 30, 40, 15, 8% successful, we need to offer other options so that people come in and engage. Because if they're not in treatment, we're not helping them regardless of how successful our treatment is. Right. And on that note, uh, we were talking with a young lady who's working with me on my film about this with Audrey Cushline and M.M., that I think everybody, all of us who are like working on this non-12-step, you know, solutions, to be ready to say, I said, look, if I had a lot of funding for this film, you, are you kidding? I would get the numbers of how many people were court-ordered to AA who've gotten back out, who've gone to AA and went out and killed people. And they are going to be so many, right, Adi? I mean, it would be like nuts. Like, so everybody needs to say, oh, really, how many people were court-ordered to AA and then went out and drank and then killed people? There's going to be maybe 100 Which must be proof that AA... Must be proof that AA doesn't work. Right. And they, so stop talking about Audrey, you know, and moderation yeah. management. I think that, so it's, um, I, it's almost like you have to have an answer to all of it right now. And I think that with uh, Lance Doty's book that just came out, The Sober Truth, have you gotten a hold of that book and read it yet? I haven't. I've heard about it. I haven't had a chance to read it. So Lance good. And I did a, a, yeah. A he, he could listen to me. I had him on the show and I interviewed him for the film, but... You know, he really addresses a lot of things that have a lot of great answers for the harm of two of what you talked about was time and, you know, forcing people to get time and how much pressure yeah. and how harmful it really expresses it in a really uh, intelligent way. Yeah, but there's something I do with our clients about that I think is actually relevant is um, one of the things I do is I tell clients, look, there are a couple of different ways to count your time. One of them is how many days in a row you have abstinence. Let's, let's use that as one measure. But the right. other measure is what percentage of the last year, what percentage of the last six months, what percentage of the last week have you been abstinent? You know, because if you think of it that way and you've been abstinent for five months and then you drink, then you've had one day out of 150-some days that you drank. That's a very small percentage of drinking. You can still right. consider yourself a pretty incredible success at that point. Instead of all of a sudden considering yourself a failure, and as if you start from scratch, I don't buy into the stuff that people say that if you've had 30-some years and you relapse, you're back at the starting point. That's crap. You have 30 years' worth of experience, and what it feels like not to drink. Why, would, why on earth am I supposed to assume that you know nothing and that you need to start right at the starting block? I'm not saying there's not something to learn from it. You can absolutely learn things from it if alcohol has now caused problems again for you. But if you had a sip of beer or a bottle of wine or whatever right. after yeah. a long 
period of abstinence, pretending for a second that the other 30 years didn't exist is just absurd. Uh, have you ever thought of, you know that I have a bench ad, right? I have my bench ad that says, you are not powerless, tired of 12-step programs. I mean, you have I better graphics than I do, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> you really are, like, in the, the good corner, you know, just starting with the bench ad. I don't know what your funding is like. That would be <laughs> funny. No, that would be really funny. Where, where is yours? Well, mine is on the corner of Westwood and Pico, on the northeast corner, at a bus stop, where there's a lot of people. It was closer. I'm it was gonna, on National. I'm going to ride my bike by just to go check it out. Yeah, you got you to check it out, and we're gonna we're gonna think, yeah. film me sitting on it, and, and yeah, we should probably do that. Uh, that's it's good. But who is there, Blue? That's he doesn't have his. I'm sorry, my, uh He took his muzzle off. Why? So here, we, you know what? I'm having like a situation. So I have my camera person came in to just film this because I have somebody here, and then my son took the muzzle off my dog. So I'm gonna I'm gonna multitask here. I'm gonna text my son. All right. I love it. <laughs> For a second, I thought somebody took the muzzle off your cameraman. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, there's no muzzle. I say, um, <laughs> dizzy gone. Okay, she's sneaking out. <laughs> we, I have an Australian Shepherd that will nip you from behind if you don't watch your butt. No. <laughs> All right. Really? Um, well, he. I think that might be a new treatment method. Every yeah, time you put, drink, the dog put nips muzzle. you. Wait, hold on. Put muzzle on. I'm texting with one finger. Muzzle on doggy. <laughs> Love it. Uh, it's so great to have you on. I mean, you really uh, speak well and, you know, really get the message across. If you could, uh, I, one of the things, I mean, I really liked the, the way that you, your uh, treatment is different, that it's outpatient and that it's this first week, it's only a week, and then can you describe at least a two-month program for people, how it works? Sure, sure, sure. So our first week is a very intensive week. It's supposed to sort of emulate what date, uh, what residential treatment would be like, but you get to live at home um, or, you know, in a sober living in the area if, if that's what you need. That's great, um, yeah. and it's, uh, sober living is not great. Okay, let me just take that back. When I said that's great, I meant you, <laughs> not about sober living. Okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, and clients come to us from about 9 to 6 p.m. Uh, on average, about eight hours a day, seven to eight hours a day. And um, and we get in deep. I call it our boot camp. Um the reason is, you know, we want to get to know our clients very, very well. Our clients have a team of four clinicians that they work with. And in that first week, we get to know them well. We get to dive in deeper most of the time than they have in any treatment that they've been to before, even if they've been seeing the, the same therapist for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we do all, we do a brain map on them. Uh, we do some mindfulness introduction, a lot of CBT, a lot of neuroeducation, and some family work already in that week. Um, we then transition to a more of an intensive outpatient model, and that looks like somewhere between 10 to 15 hours a week, um, depending on the week and depending on the specific kind of sessions that they do. Uh, that continues for two months, uh, and the clients that continue to us for six months, then after those two months, we'll go through a slow transition from those 15 hours a week to about 10 hours a week, and eventually even to a little bit less, about eight to six hours a week, until they can kind of just slowly transition out. Um, all the clients who come to us can forever engage in our group activities for free because we believe that social support is important and ongoing work is important. We just don't necessarily think that it's a must for everybody, but we mm-hmm. absolutely leave it as an option for people. Um, and that's sort of it. You know, Like I said, a lot of biological work in the, in the form of biofeedback and neurofeedback uh, to address people's um, you know, 
chemical and biological issues that are you know that can't just be resolved through talk therapy. Right. Um, but then also a lot of talk therapy, both in both in individual and group settings, and. Finally, one of the things that I do a lot with clients is, you know, I really try to get clients on track with what they want to do in life. What are their goals? Where are they trying to go? Um, when we talk about the values that we try to instill in our clients, there's three of them. It's purpose, growth, and respect. And um, and we really believe that clients need a purpose. They need to have something that they're shooting for. Otherwise, things can feel a little aimless. Uh, right. We try to support their growth and um, and, you know, we do it with respect, but we also want to offer them an ability to sort of start looking at their life, the life of people around them with a lot of respect so that they, uh, you know, they can transition from some of the behavioral patterns that they come to us with. Wow, it sounds really thorough. Now, I know uh, the, about the neurobiofeedback. That was very, very interesting because I was in there and saw that with somebody that's very yeah. close to me. So can you go into a little detail about that because I know sure. maybe in the future we can have all all of you guys on on one hour show yeah that would be fun cool and, and Dr. Hill yeah okay Dr. Hill is our neurocognitive um, director is the guy who leads that so what we start with everybody is a brain map and you know it's a difficult thing about the brain we don't see it so we kind of ignore it and we just assume that we can move forward I, I tell people a lot of times you know I drive cars all the time and I know nothing about engines and that's okay. It works. I can get in the car. I can start the car and drive, and I don't need to know how the engine works. Right. But when you start lead, when you start having problems with your car, if you want to do anything about it yourself, you've got to find out about the engine. And so part of what we do is we explain to our clients about their engine. And part of that is doing an entire brain map and seeing, well, how, why are the things that you're feeling on a day-to-day basis happening to you? And we'll see, let's say, increased anxiety in the posterior part, the back part of the brain, or we'll see... Um, sort of reduced activity in the prefrontal cortex, which people call hypofrontality oftentimes, and that leads to inattention and impulsivity and things of that nature. And then, so the first step is to actually show people in a, in a physical, um, graphical representation what's going on with their brain. But then what we do is we go in and we can actually impact that brain activity through bio and neurofeedback. So we can drive up attention, we can drive down anxiety and, and things of that nature. And by doing that, we give people resources. You know, again, it's like going to the gym, the way I talk to a lot of our clients. It's like if you want to be able to handle physical activity longer, you've got to go and run, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to go jogging so that your heart gets stronger and you can, your car- cardiovascular fitness increases. If you feel like you're weak and you can't lift what you need to lift, you go in and you lift some weights to make yourself stronger. We do that with our clients so that they have additional resources to recruit. It's not like that stops their addiction, but it leads to subtle effects like people telling us, well, you know, I poured my alcohol, but then I just kind of stared at it for a little while. I still ended up drinking it. I drank it, you know, three hours later, but it gave me this pause and I ended up drinking up a little bit less, uh, things of that nature. Um, some of our clients, let's say we smoke weed, say, well, I drove to my dealer's house or to the head shop or to the dispensary and I parked, but then I just kind of decided it's better to just go home. You know, these like relatively subtle but pretty important effects. Uh, and we think... You know, since biology is part of the problem, we need to address it directly. Now, some of the things that uh, I know that you've done, you've actually taken people out shooting and and actually gone to the group of people who were going to moderate to go drink at a bar with them, people who were nervous about it. Can you talk about some of it? It's like this is really extracurricular, the stuff that you've done. What are some of the things you've done that that are fun? Sure. Yeah, part of the extracurricular stuff that we do is, you know, it's fun, but it's purposeful. So, 
you know, yeah. I know from my own treatment history is when I got sober, I didn't know what I actually liked doing. Um, it took me about three to four months to remember that I liked movies and books. Um, mm. And so we try to resolve that for some of our clients by engaging them in some activities without them having to come up with them on their own. So, yeah, we've gone skeet shooting. We've gone go-karting. Uh, we've taken people to, like, Color Me Mine. And we've gone to movies. We've done a lot of things to, <laughs> to get, yeah, like just to go to get people excited. It was fun. It was actually, you know, there's nothing like going, you know, 40 miles an hour on the track uh, feeling like you're about to roll into tires to right, get your adrenaline right. up. Go really um, fast those go karts. I bet you the guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also, and actually, we had a couple of the girls went too. And um, yeah. you know, the thing is, this is the thing, right? Being not abusing drugs, not abusing alcohol, not 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 engaging in the behavior that people come into here for, is not supposed to make your life dreary and boring. Um, and so the question is, how do we find? what we like doing, sometimes that takes concerted effort. I kind of tell people, it's okay if you get mad at me because I, you feel like I'm pushing you a little too hard. Um, I'm pushing you to find where the where the next phase of your life is. And, and that takes concerted effort and it takes ongoing work. And it's really, you know, again, it's that purpose piece of it. If we can't find something where people are engaged, then any solution that we come up with is short-lived. And And one of the things that I think Alternatives does really, really well is we always have open arms for the people who feel like, well, I need I need a little booster session, and maybe I would need to come by the groups today and just kind of talk about what's going on for me, um, without religious undertones, without um, telling them they must keep coming uh, for the rest of their lives. None of that kind of stuff. They know we're here. They know we're going to accept them, and um, and we're happy to provide that sort of um, comfortable, trustworthy environment for them. So you don't tell them that it, they have a spiritual malady and that they're broken and they were born that way, right? <laughs> no, no, I don't. To be honest, I don't. Other than our mindfulness work, I don't really let spirituality enter into the work that we do. That's not to say that some of our clients don't greatly benefit from um, mm-hmm. increased spiritual work, but I don't see that as as our job. Now, would you say? And I know from you know just knowing you a little bit better that uh, your work is considered, you know, a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, but with, you know, helping somebody with their goals? And do you sure. Work a lot with- um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is a broad sort of, broad stroke way of saying therapeutic work that focuses on the relationship between your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions, and your actions. Um, you know, then you have specific protocols that are based on CBT that have had research behind them that people use, like the Matrix Institute model of treatment and things like that. Um, that's not to say that those are the only ones that are useful. That's kind of a frame of mind, um, mm-hmm. you know, like motivational interviewing, which is a very humanistic but directive approach, a way to, with love and empathy, move people towards decisions uh, to change their actions. So, you know, there are, there's a lot of room in evidence-based work. And there's a guy named Paul Roman, he's a researcher, who for the last, you know, 15, 20 years has been looking at how much evidence-based work is being done in treatment. And it's sad to find out how little evidence-based work is being done in treatment centers. Um, and Where is he I located? Where is he? Paul, Paul Roman, I want to say UPenn. Let me, I can actually look him up. Well, um, Should uh, talk to him. Yeah, he would be a great Absolutely. interview, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. He's, this is what he's done. Um, I can... 
thank God uh, we have the internet, and so uh, we can. Are you we just going to multitask too now? And uh, do you have I to get am, off? I, I know am. we talked about you having to get off yeah, at two thirty. I'm going to so get gonna off gonna in a couple of moments. Okay. And he's uh, actually at the University of Georgia. University of Georgia. Um, okay. And he would absolutely You'll send be somebody that I think will be. Absolutely. Yeah, send me an email. That would be great. Um, um, I, want, let we, me, I, I just want talk to talk about one last thing. Yes. Um, just because we're going to start offering this really exciting, very low-cost treatment option for people um, based on the um, the Sinclair method and the use of naltrexone in reduction in alcohol use and cravings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I always saw in research is that cost is a big prohibitive thing, and I'm not going to lie, our treatment is not cheap because people get a lot, a lot, a lot of work. Uh, and so we did decide to offer a much lower cost option that is much less intensive. It's only a weekly group and one individual session a month. Claudia Christian, who's, uh, you know, who's one of the actresses on Babylon 5, but also has written books about her own experience and recovery with uh, the Sinclair Method, will help us launch the, the group tonight, actually. And the idea, again, is to make the gate wider and allow more people to go seek help, even if they don't have $30,000 for six months of treatment. And, and all they're looking for is something to try to get a little bit more than what self-help is giving them, but not quite as much as what some other programs offer. Wow, that's so great. I'm, I'm really excited. So we have been talking to Dr. Adi Jaffe from Alternatives in Los Angeles, and if you can look it up online, it's a great program, and there are free moderation management meetings there on Tuesday night. There's free smart and craft meetings on Monday night. And now there's going to be the Sinclair Method with uh, Claudia Christian there on Wednesday nights. And I, it was such a great uh, time here today with you. I want to thank you so much. We'll have you on again. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So we'll and we say will, goodbye. We'll speak yeah, soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. Okay, thank you so much. All right, Monica. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Dr. Jaffe from Alternatives. There's Dr. Kern, and there's uh, two other doctors there that do. Uh, one does mindfulness, and uh, Karash, I think his name is, and then the gentleman that also does the neurobiofeedback, which I am forgetting his name also. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. It should be Dr. Jaffe I have here. Let me go to other staff. Here's the guys. So they're probably going to have it here on Alternatives, addictionalternatives.com. And we have um, Andrew Hill. That's right. So he's awesome. I've met Andrew. And he is a Ph.D. director of neurocognitive services. And so he does that. And I've actually been in there and seen a brain, what it looked like before they did the neurobiofeedback for eight weeks. It's a pretty amazing transition. And then um, Karash does uh, mindfulness services, and he is also an awesome guy. He graduated from USC with a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and an emphasis in coursework in mindfulness-based therapies. And uh, very, very cool. Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know, I am very excited, too, to hear about what Claudia Christian is doing. Uh, She is finishing up making the movie One Little Pill, and that is about the use of naltrexone, which you take one hour before you drink, and this would also be very helpful uh, so people would not have to go into detox, that they could actually do this in the privacy of their own home and uh, under a doctor's care and then see an addiction therapist. And I think the difference between today 
and maybe 30 years ago, is that there are uh, plenty of addiction therapists, and that um, the thing, that one of the things that I want to offer here on the show, besides my exposing and ranting about what I don't like about AA and what is going on with that whole thing, is promoting the other options, what they are. And I think things are growing. Uh, there's a, a gentleman that I've had on, Matthew Lecter, who is creating the Goodman Approach. And if you want to take a look on Facebook, it's a good man approach. And uh, we all know about smart recovery, moderation management, harm reduction, SOS, Secular Organizations for Sobriety, Save Ourselves. And I think there is um, the Sinclair Method, which would be the taking of naltrexone and reading the book. And I think Claudia Christian's book is pretty fantastic. Um, Babylon Confidential is a page-turner, and I, I just tore that book up and read it. And for anybody who is drinking a lot of alcohol and doesn't feel like they're broken or have any trauma uh, and they just really want help with cravings and they want to try it, uh, I mean, I've never tried it, but um, <laughs> anyway, it is a great book. And then there's Amy Lee Coy's book, From Death Do I Part?, a great book for people who have been maybe in and out of A and rehab and it hasn't worked. I love Gabrielle Glaser's book, uh, Why Women Drink and uh, Her Best Kept Secret, Why Women Drink and How You Can Regain Control. And then Stanton Peel's new book and Ilsa Thompson's book, which is called Recovered, Cover, exclamation point, Stop Thinking Like an Addict and Reclaim Your Life with the Perfect Program. And there are some similarities with Stanton's book and alternatives and even Amy's book uh, about that it's more about self-care than it's being punitive and beating, you know, people up and, uh, you know, beating people up, but I mean beating people up emotionally and stuff. And, uh, you know, I have about seven minutes left and I have a special guest sitting with me here all the way from Ohio. And uh, Darlene is... Uh, you know, in my she is in my film, and she reached out to me on my blog. We found each other on my Stop 13 Step in AA, and uh, she's been just sitting here next to me as I've been doing the show, finishing it up, and then I'm gonna we're gonna go to lunch somewhere. But I I want to just put a plug for my film as well. So the 13 Step to film is we can like us on Facebook, and I'm 13 stepping on um, Twitter. Hopefully I can maybe change that name and get the 13 step to film. But if you go on and you can donate through the IDA, which is the International Documentary Association, and this way you can get a tax write-off. And we do need your donations. I am in the process of going to begin editing a rough cut for the film. I will be finishing up with the filming over the next six to eight weeks and hope to have the film finished by July of this year. And I am going to be interviewing pilots and doctors who have been coerced to attend AA. And there's uh, some really deep coercion, a lot of entrenchment with Alcoholics Anonymous and medicine and pilots and uh, attorneys. It's pretty bad. Anybody who's, who has a license, uh, this, is, this is something I've just found out over the last couple of months, how deep it is. And I was introduced to Michael, if you want to listen to the doctor, Michael Langan, I interviewed him here on the radio show. So I want to just, I'm going to give the phone here to where we can hold it. Is there something that you would like to say, Darlene, about your response to what we just heard with Dr. Jaffe as opposed to your experience? 
Well, I definitely think that healing comes from a lot of women, um, even men some, is working on healing yourself. And we turn to alcohol to cover up some type of pain. And going into, especially myself, I was court-ordered, and you go in there and you're taught that you're powerless. Even though, like for myself, I kind of thought, ah, I'm not powerless. You know, I'm more of an empowered person, but obviously I drank to cover up pain. So you fall into that when you're court-ordered, and before you know it, it just starts brainwashing into you. Um, it just It's a disaster. But, so, yes, and, the, and another thing that's really big right now is the young kids in Ohio being put in there, and they're not even drinking, and now have a drinking problem. I particularly am working with two children that are 19 and 17. Wait, so they they were put in there and they weren't even heavy drinking? What, what were they doing and why were they court-ordered there? It was paraphernalia. We're just having paraphernalia. Paraphernalia. And they were put into AA, and wow. before I came, I had talked with him, and it's become to where he has to get drunk to tolerate the meeting. And, you know, it's troublesome. It bothers me. Like right now, it's too emotional. So. Wow, wow. Yeah, you know, it's just stuff has to stop. So if, if you care, and even if you have been coerced and you, you can't, if you can't speak up and you can't, you know, be interviewed by me, oh, by the way, let me just say that CVS is also doing the story so that if you've been 13-stepped or sexually harassed or assaulted, uh, please contact me at makeaasafer at gmail.com, makeaasafer at gmail.com, or go to my website, leavingaa.com, and there is a post there about CVS. And you can, their number is right there, and there's a reporter there. Contact them and talk to them. But this is horrible what, you know, Darlene was just saying. So that if you are somebody who cares and you can't uh, participate in the way of being interviewed, but you would like to give uh, financially, you would like to contribute to the film, please do it and uh, share everywhere and send to private emails with people that maybe have the situation and know that we can all be empowered that no one needs to be told as a teenager that they are an alcoholic and that they are going to be broken and have to go to these meetings for the rest of their life because it's absolute hogwash. And it was never vetted and never researched. And I really um, you know, want to congratulate the guys at Alternatives for creating something new and something different. And uh, maybe over the next month or two, I will have them all on again so that people can learn what the other options are. Again, my name is Monica Richardson for safe recovery on blog talk radio you can listen to us on itunes you can listen here you can download for free and you can share everywhere we will see you next week with uh i think i'm going to see aj Popkey. he does special emdr work with addiction and he will be on next week i have a whole bunch of people set up uh for the next three weeks and then we will continue on with our is a religious or spiritual, is it white, or is it snowflake, part three will happen <laughs> in about a month. Okay, everybody, so good day, good afternoon. Again, Monica Richardson for Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Good. Thanks.